I love packages at my front door <laughs> so much that when my favorite coffee company in the world started a subscription service, I signed up immediately because I love this delicious coffee. I'm talking about Zelly Beans Coffee. That's Zelly, Z-E-L-I-E, Beans Coffee. They freshly roast their coffee every single week and they grind to order. But my favorite part about Zelly Beans is that they're a mission-focused coffee. They believe in families helping families through specialty coffee. And I tell you what, they're helping me through this pandemic. But what I love is that they have new varieties all the time. There's a new Honduras El Drizano honey processed coffee that I can't wait to try. And I know that they're looking for wholesale partners. I want you to go to zellybeanscoffee.com and put in the code TALKWITHLIVE. That's right. Talk with Live. You're going to get a discount. I want you to try a bag, get a subscription. Do it today. Zellybeanscoffee.com. Because I grew up in a small town in North Louisiana called Natchitoches, I didn't realize, for real, this is so true, I did not realize that you could live by an airport. Like, I always thought those were two hours away or at least four hours away. It depended, like, on where we were going, where we were flying out from. Often, we would go into Texas and fly out of Dallas, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That was a good four hours. So to me, as a little kid, I was like, oh gosh, I don't want to go anywhere because you had to get in a car, you had to drive, you know what I mean? Like four hours and then you get to the airport. And let's be honest, it's not like the plane is just sitting there like, oh, we've been waiting for you. Walk on in, you know, like with the carpet. You have to wait forever. I mean, like, do you not remember this as a kid? You waited for everything. I mean, I waited constantly. My whole life was one big waiting room, especially being from a small town. Oh my gosh. I mean, oh, sorry. It's like I'm having a moment right now because (laughs) it was, it was so much waiting, so much waiting. So I wasn't really jazzed about flying anywhere because that was a long road trip to nowhere to then sit. I don't know about you, but the last time, which I know we've all forgotten because we're in a pandemic, just to remind everybody, the waiting area for like an airplane, like the airport situation Those chairs, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Not the best. Those are not comfy. They do not care. That is not what you're paying for, you know? So who wants to sit there? And as a kid, and we didn't have iPhones and all the things. We had those like, um, oh my gosh, you remember those little... Those little boards, you know, with the guy, the bald guy, and it was filled with like magnetic little files, like little pieces of magnet, right? And it was like a guy's face. It was a cartoon face of a bald-headed guy. And you took this little pencil situation and you would move the little you know magnetic shavings onto this guy's face to make it have a beard or make him have like hair yeah try doing that for you know six hours waiting dfw (laughs) you know what i mean and then you would get on a plane and then you'd fly to go sit at another airport you know as a kid you were like what is this this is the worst everywhere was forever anyway So I just remember waiting a lot and that not being the best part, me not being excited about traveling. I was like, I don't want to do this. This one time I was five and we were in the DFW airport, you know, in Dallas because we used to fly Delta all the time. And um, in fact, actually, little side note, I did not know that other airlines gave out the little wings. Like I didn't know that that was like a, I didn't know there was like a thing. Like I was like, I totally thought that was just a Delta thing. And then I was like in my 20s flying from Lubbock, Texas, because I went to Texas Tech, flying from Lubbock to Houston. And I was on Southwest and they offered to give me a pair of wings. And I looked at them and I was like, huh, like it was like this moment where I was like, oh, that wow, which I don't know why they were giving me wings. But anyway, had no idea. All right. So I'm in DFW. I'm five. I'm back to that story. And I had to go to the bathroom. I mean, who knows how long we've been there. Whatever. It's so long. All you do as a kid is wait. And uh, go to the bathroom. And all of a sudden, this woman bends down and starts pinching my cheeks. I remember this very clearly. And starts saying, why, aren't you just the cutest thing? You have got a face full of freckles. 
I just love her freckles. Yo, come look at her big freckles. Look at these freckles. She's got so many freckles. And I mean, she went on and on and on about my stinking freckles, right? And I'm thinking, lady, why are we like, stop touching my face. And <laughs> she leaves, whatever. Says something to my mom, I think. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I was five. I don't remember that part. And leaves. And my mom turns around. And let me tell you something about my mother. Her name is Vicky. Let me tell you something about Vic. Vicky Vic. She, and I do not call my mother that. That's ridiculous. Anyway, but she said, she, she never gets excited about people. You know what I mean? She's a big time introvert. Famous people don't bother her. This was a famous person. So I was not used to seeing my mom get excited, you know, flushed. She turns around to me and she was like a normal, like fangirl kind of situation. And she was like, oh my gosh, do you know who that was? I'm five. Of course, I don't know who that was. My mom takes me out of the bathroom and we run to my dad and uh, we were with an aunt and my grandmother. And she was like, you guys, that was Dolly Parton in the bathroom. She just pinched Olivia's cheeks and said she had great freckles. So one of my claim to fame moments is I met Dolly Parton <laughs> in the DFW bathroom. So there you go, everybody. When I was five, I peaked. Um, and I don't think, I don't think it made a difference to Dolly. Although I do have a friend. We do have a mutual friend, Dolly and I, and she was able to relay the story to her. So that is kind of cool. I got to say that happened later on. It just happened a couple of years ago. So that's kind of neat. But my guest on today's podcast, I want to say something. Here's the deal. I am still a new podcaster. I have an incredible producer. Um, Taylor is an audio genius. He didn't even pay me to say that everybody, <laughs> but I did have a couple of issues with this, um, recording and that was on my end, but the recording is not horrible. Okay. It's going to be fine. I still wanted to use it. It's completely usable. You probably won't even notice, but I just wanted to like, you know, own it. It's such a great interview because my interview is with someone who is very well known in the, well known in the Catholic world. She's a big time author, huge speaker, huge Okay. And the conversation was just so great and it's, it's fine. And, um, her whole perspective on airports and small towns and all this kind of stuff was just too good, really. And especially with this whole pandemic and where we're at, y'all are going to love it. And you're going to get to know a different side of her. I am talking absolutely about everyone's favorite South Louisiana girl, Katie Prejean. Hello there, Miss Katie. Nice to see you. I'm good. I'm good. You look fantastic, by the way, because I have wet hair. Um, <laughs> no one can see that. I was scrambling because we are meeting early. This is early to me. It is 1030 in the morning and it <laughs> might as well be 7 a.m. It's yeah. like 10 is the new 7. Like, I feel like this is, yeah. but you look fantastic. And <laughs> I just want to say you're a pro. You're definitely like... Thank you. Do you get up early in the morning, Katie? I need to know. Are you an early no, person? No. Or you're not? It, well, no. Regardless of whether I'm pregnant or not, the answer is no, um, unless I have to be. But I think right when all the COVID stuff started and my husband would teach us from home now, um, at least until they go back, there was like this unspoken pact made of he would take what we call first shift. So he gets up with our daughter <laughs> at seven when she, I mean, he's an early bird anyway. So he's up between like 4.30 and five. He works out. He takes a shower um, you know, does his thing. And then he takes first shift with Rose. So I can like, you know, happily stay in bed until seven thirty, eight o'clock. I wake up, he makes me a cup of coffee. He is the best husband in the world. I was going to say this yeah, is like, I am spoiled rotten. And part of it, I think is the guilt. Cause I get really sick when I'm pregnant. So like at first I was playing the pregnant guilt card. Like I'm pregnant right? child. I need you to take care of me. Now I'm like feeling fine. So I could probably get out of bed early enough to like help with first shift, but that's, that's quality time for them. I can rest and sleep in a little bit. Sometimes I watch a bake off show in that, like I'll watch an episode of the great British bake off before I get out of bed and nobody's, nobody's questioned it yet. So I'm not about to give that up. <laughs> He's fine. I've been really into sugar rush. My daughter got me into on Netflix and it's really fantastic. So you spilled the beans, you're pregnant in case. You I know, am. Yes. No. <laughs> Sorry. I, I totally gave away the. Uh, no, because how far along are you? This is not a secret. You're like 87 weeks pregnant at this point. As yeah. Far as I can tell on the I'm internet. 20, it's been I'm forever. Five weeks. My, my teacher oh, okay. is on the Saturday. So I'm 26 weeks tomorrow. Um, okay, perfect. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we're, we're at the. You're in there. You're, you're in getting there. there. 
yeah, yeah. we're in it. It's third trimester's coming, the, the heat of the summer. Next time, if we have more, we will plan it better to not be pregnant in Louisiana humidity summer. Um, <laughs> we, this is our second yeah. kid. And my husband and I, well, I was an educator and now, you know, he's a teacher. And for some reason, we keep having our babies at the beginning of the school year. Terrible planning on our part. <laughs> yeah, that's not... <laughs> You know what? I tell people, if you live in the South, you get pregnant in the summer. That's how you... Right. That's how we should have planned it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now you know. Just write that down. We are beating the COVID baby rush, though. We were pregnant before. good. So, like, my doctor... No, we are not a trend. Our baby was announced well before social distancing was in place. So I just want everybody to know that. Like, this is not a COVID baby. This was a, we want another baby. This seems like a decent time. Oh, wait, we forgot the summer. Oh, well, let's have a kid, right? So here we are. I never know what to do. So I love it. And you're in South Louisiana. So for people who don't know, yes, even in the South, we differentiate between the Mm -hmm. southernness of the places that we live. Oh, it's yeah. a real thing. And Below I-10 is proper. Above I-10, you're a Yankee as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's true. People told, I was born above I-10. I was born in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And people would say I was I was from South Arkansas. And I was like, yeah. okay. But we do that with Dallas. I'm in Texas. And we call mm-hmm. Dallas Oklahoma, which yeah. it is. It's it not is. The it same. might as well be. It if you're well only. Be. But the thing about Southwest Louisiana is like, we're just as close to Texas as we are. That's true. So like Lafayette. So we're kind of in this weird, our accents are, I, I lost my accent in college completely because I lived with a bunch of Yankees and then I married a boy from Pennsylvania. So <laughs> you didn't know, have a chance. I didn't have a chance. It comes out when I'm drinking um, or like when I'm around <laughs> my parents, my mom's got a great Southern girl and I, I love it. And I need to record her. Um, you should. But yeah, I, yeah well, it's, it's one of these days I'll have her on my podcast when I can find a topic, you know, let's talk about Catholicism and accounting. Like that could work. Um, just, <laughs> just so I have a recording of her voice. Because uh, it is, I never even realized she had an accent until my husband imitated it one day. And I was like, that is not how my mom talks. And he's like, you didn't you know? I, I get, because you're just like around it. And like, you know wow. how Southwest Louisiana works. Oh, I, I never I realized my parents both had kind of the drawl of the South. Um, but I lost mine real early. So You did a really good job because when I moved from Northern Louisiana to Houston, I was 10. And I look, I don't know about you, Katie, but when I listen back to videos when I was a kid, I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, I don't even know happened? how... It's like so bad, but now you're okay. But you had a South Louisiana accent, which Mm -hmm. my mom is from where you are. She's very close to her town. Her hometown is very close to where you live now. You're in Lake Charles, Mm -hmm. which by the way, everybody, incredible food. And I would like to say it is like the Vegas for Houston. I can't tell you how many Houstonians go to Lake Charles to play at the Golden Nugget. Golden Nugget, LaBerge. Oh yeah. My wedding reception was at LaBerge. Um, yeah, oh, that's nice. We, okay. We that's went big. Lovely. I mean, we're only going to do it once. Right. Um, Good for you. I love but yeah, it is a, it's a distinct little part of the world where we have gambling and we have oil production and we've got really, really good food and a Catholic good church in every corner. It's a strange little place that somehow doesn't get affected by economic hardships because we have the plants, but like also these really great local restaurants. It's just a, it's a good place to raise a family. My folks are five minutes up the road. This is where we are for a very long time, as far as I'm concerned. I love that. Okay, yeah. so were you born and raised in Lake Charles? Yeah, yeah, born and okay. raised at the Memorial Hospital, same place my daughter will be, you know, both of them will have been born. Um, oh, that's so great. Yeah, so it's my, my dad's right from here. My dad grew up on off of Lake Street on a little street called Blackman Street, um, down, you know, two blocks away from the parish that I've gone to my whole life. They what met parish at, is that? So Our Lady Queen of Heaven, Catholic Church, okay. um, where I, w- okay. I was youth minister there for five years. We're still really involved in the parish. Um, my dad had gone to school there. My sister and I both went to school there. My mom's on the finance council. It's home. Uh, <laughs> and that, but that's it. how Louisiana works, right? Like I think every, every place that's has that connection, but there's something about a small Southern town where like, you know, everybody's mom, cousin, business, and where they prefer to get their milk. Like, it's just like this weird, <laughs> like, you know, you know, your people. Um, and so I, I went to college in Dallas. So I went to college in Oklahoma, practically. Um, I was going to get there. I was yeah. segueing. Yeah. So I know, I know North path. Texas. <laughs> what was that? Sorry. I was trying to make a safe path to get us to Dallas yeah. because yeah. Houston 
Houston and Dallas has quite a rivalry. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Well, and I, I hate no, both great. football you teams great. equally. Um, oh, well, that's yeah, fair. No, I am a New Orleans Saints fan through its religion, practically. Um, it is. But back to the accents, when I went to college, I was on speech and debate when I was in high school, and our coach would always kind of train us to not say y'all when like giving an oratory or to, to cut out contractions only because it, you know, if you ever got to a national competition, you didn't want somebody to necessarily know where you were from. So I kind of always had that in my head. And then I lived with people from Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Chicago, and California. So I had no shot whatsoever of maintaining (laughs) that. Lived a year in Chicago, married a guy from Pennsylvania. It comes out, like I said, it comes out when I'm with my family or like we're all really, really comfortable. But for the most part, it doesn't It doesn't appear very often. You've done a wonderful job. It'll be interesting to see if your daughters pick up on the accent. Oh, Rose has one. Even though Can she I doesn't... See? Oh, yeah. She, there's this video. I'll have to send you the link to share in the show Please notes. Please do. Of her. Yes. She's playing with a Bible and she, she goes... Mama, there's Jesus. And I went, yeah, there is Jesus. It's like a picture. And she went, Jesus is up on the wall. And like, there's uh-uh. this, like this whole, my husband just turns and looks at me and was like, I didn't teach you how to say it that way. Like, I, I don't <laughs> say it that way. She picked that up somewhere. Well, she was, you know, she was at a little daycare center with 14 other Southern kids. And she's around my mom, who apparently has one too. So oh up on the wall. Like, it is, up on the wall, there's yep. Jesus. She she has it. And I'm I'm pretty proud. Like, let's be real. Oh, you little should be. With the Southern twang, I'm all about that. It's precious. Yeah. And if she eats all the great foods, which I got to ask you, what is your favorite Southern dish? Which I think anybody that's following you, we know that you're baking right now, which yes. I don't understand. Like, as far as I'm concerned, you <laughs> you should submit to Top Chef because <laughs> you do th- you should. You do things in 30 minutes. Like, you'll be like, hi, everybody. I just wrote an entire new book. Oh, and I just took out 17 pies. And I'm like, yeah. what? I don't understand. I can't get flour out in the time that you have made whatever you're baking, Katie. I am like envious. You take all the pictures and then you just post them one back, back to back to back to back to back, (laughs) so that everybody sees it all in quick progression. I hope so because, as far as I'm concerned, you are the quickest baker on the planet. I am. I am. You have one of those magical TV ovens that, like, yeah, tap to bake and it just appears. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, normally it's just the way I time it. Um, I, I think my favorite Southern dish, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm simple. I just like good fried fish and a pistolette, which is just fried bread. Um, if you can give me some crawfish on top of that, like smothered fried fish, like I'm all about that. Um, I think, and, and when I think of Southern dishes, there's like, there's a difference between what I can get from a restaurant versus what my mom Mm -hmm. can cook. So like if it's my mom's meal, that's true. I want her jambalaya or I want her gumbo. If I'm going to a favorite restaurant, you know, they might have smothered fish. They might have some sort of chicken dish that I really, really like. Um, it truthfully depends on the day and the time and where are we going. And that's just how the South is. <laughs> Again, like that's how small towns are. That's small town. So what is your, um, what's your favorite restaurant in Lake Charles? I'm coming through I-10. I'm on my way to Orlando from, because that's where I think most people in Houston, if they're going to drive on mm-hmm. I-10, they're stopping. you know, yeah. they're stopping and they're stopping in mm-hmm. my parents' hometown Jennings or yours, Lake Charles to yeah. eat. Where do they go? There's, so it's a little hole in the wall. It's called Tia Juanita's. Um, and it's, yes. fish, it's like a fish camp is what they call it. I it's love it. Yes. Cajun Mexican place. So I'm a sucker for Asian cheese Mexican. dip. Um, and they, like, if I had to pick one kind of food to eat for the rest of my life, it's Mexican food. So there's like, there's their Cajun twist on it any day of the week. And I have not had it. They weren't, they weren't doing delivery at the beginning of COVID. I think they are now. Um, so like we have not had it in months and I'm, I'm, I'm itching for now I'm thinking about it. It's like, maybe that's what we order for lunch tomorrow. We normally order out on Saturdays, but I think I would tell people to go there. Maybe Luna's cause Luna's just has great you know, tons of crawfish dishes on the menu. Um, the casino, you can never go wrong with the casinos, but like, if you're going to party at the casinos, please leave the casino and also like go somewhere in town and get your, have you ever been to Boombox? Have you gone to the ice cream no. place? In town? Yeah, you got to get the box. They've got like homemade ice cream and popsicles all named for 80s bands, like 80s music, 80s songs. That's brilliant. It's so much fun. So uh, I would I would go to Tia's and then I would hop on over to Boombox. That'd be my recommendation. Done. See, this is great. And that's what I think is so cool because 
You grew up in Lake Charles. You then decided to, which we won't have to get into why you went to Dallas, but now you went to UD, University of Dallas, which is, I have to say, I have a senior in high school and that is on his list. Oh, we would love it if you went to UD. We mm-hmm. really would because it's it cool. is a great university. Mm-hmm. Sad it's in Dallas, but it's a great university. Yeah, and we hours. love Dallas. I have family in Dallas. I'm just teasing. <laughs> um, but... So you you did all those things and you've traveled the world. You've I, I mean I make it sound like you're just like on a plane. <laughs> you're like okay, calm down. It's not. <laughs> but you travel a lot. You're a speaker and you have seen everywhere. Uh, I would say, <laughs> but you settled on small town and you yep. settled on Louisiana. And I I gotta say I feel like why what what have you seen out there? Yeah, that made you say this is home. It's a great question. Um. There's something about small town living, especially that there's a comfort in knowing that you know the people that you're around. You know, I lived I lived in Chicago for a year and it was a suburb of Chicago, but even in the suburb of a big city, it just kind of felt like I didn't like I didn't know who I would call if my toilet overflowed. Well, the plumber that we call is one of my dad's best friends and they went to second grade together. So I can call Mr. Jerry any time of the day if he needs to come fix something. Like I love the familiarity of people. Um, when I travel, I, you know, a lot of speakers will sometimes be like, Oh, I only fly out of big airports like a Houston or a new Orleans because there are more flight options. And I'm like, Oh no, give me, I'll take that 50 minute puddle jump to Dallas any day of the week because I can walk into the LCH airport and the two ladies behind the counter came to my wedding because they are friends of oh. mine. The TSA agents asked me about Rose um, and I can bring them a box of donuts and like, you know, we can all just have like a conversation. Um, so it's like that, that familiarity of people. Uh, I mean, I tweet at LCH all the time, like pictures you of do. Rose looking at the sky. Cause she's like waiting for her airplane friends. And they like, they message me back and or I'll get a phone call from their marketing manager to be like, Hey, do you want to come over and grab a t-shirt? Like they're just, that comfort of small town living. I love, um, Sometimes there's like conveniences. Like I really wish we had a Chipotle in Lake Charles. <laughs> like that is, I always make sure I get Chipotle when I travel. Or like occasionally it can be frustrating in an airport that's so small. Like if something gets canceled or something gets delayed and like you're kind of stuck because that was your only option for the day. But that the benefits far outweigh the negatives when it comes to small town living. Um, and I really like that. It's also very affordable. We have a 3,000 square foot house and my mortgage is half what my sister pays for her apartment in DC. Um, right. So like it's an affordable place to raise a family, to put down roots, plus history. You know, my grandparents are buried here. Uh, my mom and dad live around the corner. Um, I think I've got almost every priest of our diocese in my phone because they were at my wedding. Like, like they're just, you know, that, that comfort, I think. Yeah, the whole, the family. So let me ask you this, the women that you know at the airport, is that because of your travel that you met them or were they people that you grew up with? So it's because of what you've done. Do you think travel mm -hmm. has made you appreciate this whole piece of your life? For sure. For sure. I, when I started traveling more frequently around like 2013, 2014, I moved back to Lake Charles after my year in Chicago, I was teaching. Um, And in the world of Catholic speaking, you know, you build a reputation just in connections and knowing people. So diocesan directors, fellow youth ministers, I'd, I'd kind of done the I-10 circuit up and down all the Louisiana, Texas dioceses kind of thing. Um, and then as I started traveling more frequently and flying through Dallas, and then I met Tommy, my husband online, we met on Facebook and we were dating long distance. So we were going back and forth to see each other. This just, this friendship grew between Marguerite and Sarah and I. Um, and they would ask like, Hey, are you headed to speak? Or are you headed to go see Tom? Uh, or like Aww. Tommy would fly in and like one of them would text me, Hey, the flight's landing a 15, 20 minutes early. If you want to get here soon. And like surprise, you know, so it was like, they're just this comfort and the familiarity and this friendship grew. And it was just a lot of fun. And there's, there's always at LCH when I come home, there's kind of, and it's been a while. So I definitely miss this. So I'm, I'm being nostalgic at this point. Cause I haven't gotten off a plane since March 11th. It's the longest stretch I've gone not traveling for work since I was on maternity leave for Rose. So it's, it's been a while. It's been a bit, but the, the cop that always stands on the other side of the TSA, we kind of have this, like, we'll look at each other and just, he'll know if it was a good travel day or a bad travel day, just by the look on my face, or like, he'll know if it was a good trip, like a good event or like a frustrating event. Um, and we just kind of both like nod and look at each other and be like, see you next time. Like, it's just this unspoken little, little friendship that we have. Um, but yeah, that's, it was through travel that I got to know them. I love that. So let me ask you, if I was talking to 
20-year-old Katie. <laughs> and I said, you're going to end up in Lake Charles, Katie. Like, that's where you're going to mm-hmm. end up. You're going to be there again. Where would you have been at that point in your life? Would you have been like, yes? Or would you be Ooh. like, shut your face, Liv. I am going out into yeah. the world. I mean, I, at 20, I was a junior in college. Or your twenties, uh, whatever. Yeah, in you my twenties, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> in that early part of of college, it was definitely I want to go. Like I wanted to go to New York or Chicago or a DC and work in a diocese, work in a parish. Like the USCCB was on my dream bucket list to work for, even though they get paid spit. Like I, I had, I had this vision of like wanting to do this. What I thought would be like this huge work for the church in a big city. Um, so I would have laughed in your face. I definitely would have been like, "That's not happening." Like nothing happens in Lake Charles. <laughs> And the diocese is way too small and I'm not going to put my time and energy there. And then when I did live in Chicago and I was working in a parish and I was very involved in the Archdiocese of Chicago with youth ministry stuff, it gradually occurred to me that there's nothing quite like already having established relationships and friendships to be able to to leverage the influence and the expertise that you have. Um, So like the second I moved back to Lake Charles as a freshman theology teacher with no education experience, I had a theology degree and I was a youth minister and I could give a talk. I was invited to be part of like this education commission for our diocese to evaluate the theology textbooks. Well, that never would have happened in in Chicago, but because I knew people and because they knew my education and because they knew that I was a, I was a reader. So I could read these textbooks and offer some insight. I was given a chance to sit at a table. So sure, much smaller town, much smaller table, but then that led to being more aware of, okay, well, this is what these textbooks look like. Well, this is maybe how they could improve. Oh, now I work for a Catholic publisher and I can, I can pull on that experience. So it, I would have laughed and then hopefully somebody would have told me, you're actually going to have more influence if you go home. Um, and that's not why you're going to love being there, but it does help if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's interesting. You're going to have more influence if you go home. Yeah. And I feel like that's like kind of a really solid thing for a lot of us, which we are currently in quarantine, right? Like we're currently yeah. <laughs> living through this pandemic. So we are all home right now. And I think what's fascinating the lessons that everybody's getting from being home are not lost on me. I'm also kind of like, God, okay, God, I feel like we got them. Like, I feel (laughs) can we get back? I'd really like to go back to that Tia Juanita's place. I missed the cheese dip. Like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like, I feel like we like, we got it. We all wrote it down. What do we need to do now? But what do you see any connection between that time of your life you know, figuring out that, wow, I am going to have more of an influence at home. And right now, like a parallel between what you're going through. Being yeah, home. I think so. I mean, it, we always hear that phrase, like a prophet is not welcome in their hometown. I'm not calling myself a prophet. I'm just saying like that, that analogy. <laughs> no, that's a quote. That's a yeah, quote. Right. Like, like there's this <laughs> yeah. belief that, well, I have to leave to do something great. And it's, it's actually, it's oftentimes like the, the places and the neighborhoods and the people that we've known our whole lives that we can influence and affect and really work through change. I mean, that's a big word that's going out in the zeitgeist right now, the most. Um, so like we, we, the great work that all of us, I think, feel compelled to do and what we're called to do is not a great work that we can go do on our own, but it's a great work that the Lord does through us. Um, and home is often the place or places where we're very comfortable or familiar, I think, are, are often the place where we're most inclined to listen because we're most comfortable. Um, so like I've had profound prayer experiences or like I've had moments of revelation and and like, oh wow, like clarity on airplanes or in Rome at, you know, sitting in a, in a meeting at the Vatican with other young adults. But like none of it compares to when I can walk into my hometown adoration chapel and sit down in the same spot I always sit in and there's Miss Constance to my left and there's Monsignor Danny to my right. And we're all, we're where we know we're comfortable and familiar. And like, I know that that's probably where God's going to speak to me the most. And so especially young people, if any teenagers are listening to it, right? Like there's always this, like, I'm going to, I'm going to bust out of here, but you're going to bust out of there. And the world's a great place and you can find awesome things and wonderful people, but there's something about the roots that we put down as children and, and our young adulthood. And then as you want to grow your own family, that, that can't really be replicated in a place where you don't have those roots. Um, And that's something I think, I mean, maybe this is me getting on a soapbox, but like, we don't, we don't appreciate that as millennials a whole lot. but like, there's nothing quite like being able to have my parents over for dinner three nights a week. Or like last night, we, yesterday afternoon, um, I had a doctor's appointment. So after the doctor's appointment for the baby, we went and picked up ice cream and we just decided to go drop off some ice cream to my little sister who is home from the pandemic. She's getting her doctorate in DC, but she's been home for the past few months. 
we walk up the front steps. My mom was home. She came home early from work. Um, and so we did like three o'clock in the afternoon, had a little ice cream party at my parents' house and Rose was able to run around with their dogs and play with the toys that, you know, my mom has curated for her only grandchild and, uh, talk about all sorts of stuff. Well, then my dad got home and was like, Hey, y'all stay for dinner. And the next thing we knew it was eight o'clock before we walked out the door. Well, like, sure. If I had taken a job somewhere else or like, you know, my husband and I had decided we wanted to go live in a whole new town that was maybe a halfway point between where his folks are and my folks are, we wouldn't have those kinds of luxuries and that stability. And I think that that's, that's a huge factor in figuring out your happiness and figuring out how you're able to affect the world. I think that is so absolutely true and brilliant because it's funny how the world tells us what is success and Mm -hmm. what is, you know, worth things and what is happiness, which is the whole point of what I'm doing with these conversations is to say, okay, it's really easy to look at Katie Prejean, this author, this speaker, this world traveler. I mean, just follow your Twitter and your Instagram and you're walking down. I'm somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're going somewhere. And you're like, that was my 400th billionth mile in 10 (laughs) days. And I'm like, it's like you in the baking, Katie. I don't know how you do it when you do fly. And so it's easy to look and say, and like what you said, sitting at a table at the Vatican, it's easy to look at you and say, oh, these are the moments of her life. These are the moments that Katie, when she's on her deathbed, it's going to (laughs) say, that was it. <laughs> These are the, the pieces. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not. It's the, what you found at home. And it's kind of like the whole Wizard of Oz concept. Yeah, there's you know? no place. Yeah. There's no place like home. And she says, you know, if I ever go looking for my own heart's desire, I won't go looking any further than my own backyard. Mm-hmm. So when you decided to come home, where were you living? Were you married already or mm. when you settled to Lake Charles, when did that happen? Yeah. So I, I was in a job in Chicago, um, right after graduating college, uh, I moved to Lake Forest, Illinois and loved it. Um, but immediately, like as soon as my parents and my sister drove away after moving me into my apartment, I, I felt like something was missing. Um, I don't know if it was them. I don't know if it was just like, I need community. I don't know if it's, I don't know where the grocery store even is kind of thing. Like it was, it was just this, and and that's good. Like, I think every young adult needs to really go through that of like feeling completely uprooted and and having to put down roots in some sense. Um, but in January of that, that year, so it was right January, 2012, two things happened. Um, the first was my sister uh, who was starting her freshman year at UD. So she was at UD, um, was kind of homesick and was, was just kind of telling me like how much she missed Lake Charles. Maybe she was going to go back to McNeese, which is the local college here in town, go Pokes. And, you know, she'd been accepted to the Honors College, so it would have been a very easy switch back. And I found myself telling her like, it's always good to stretch yourself. It's always good to push yourself. Um, but even as I was telling her that and like trying to convince her to stay at the University of Dallas and, you know, like you're six months in, so you've got to give it a little bit more time. I was hearing myself say, okay, you're six months in and you already are feeling like maybe this is not the right fit. And it's either stick around and tough it out so that nobody can say you failed or admit that, you know what, people sometimes have to make a change early enough before they become so stuck in a rut that they're never able to make that change again. So I I, randomly made a phone call um, to a friend of mine at the local Catholic high school who was a teacher when I was a student there, but he never taught me and just said, hey, just if you ever hear if St. Louis is hiring, let me know. Um, you know my credentials, you know my background, you know that I'm working in youth ministry. Uh, the next day I had an email from the principal who asked me if I was going to be in town anytime soon and could I come and interview for a job because they were going to be losing a theology teacher. I was like, wait, who's leaving? She's like, well, I can't tell you that because again, small town, you know yeah. which teachers are there and who's... <laughs> right. So I was actually coming home a couple of weeks later to speak at a pro-life event. So the word got out that I was coming back home and I was actually going to be interviewing for this job because it's a small town. Everybody, you know, finds out quick. Like, like this teacher that I spoke to could have like maybe halfway mentioned it in the coffee room. And all of a sudden the whole town knows Katie's coming home and interviewing for a job and letters are being written to the principal, hire her. And I got a phone <laughs> call from my childhood pastor, Monsignor Gaddy at Queen of Heaven, my childhood church that I've been in my whole life and, you know, my, we're very invested in. And he said, I need a youth minister. Do you want to interview for that job too? And so the next thing I knew, I was coming home for a gig. I had two back-to-back job interviews. And before I left Lake Charles, I had offers on the table to to start in the summer of 2012. Um, And 
I went back to Chicago, I got, I remember getting on the plane in Dallas. This was long before I had status of any kind. So I'm like sitting in the very, very back of the plane, close to the bathroom <laughs> on the aisle so that I can get up and pee anytime I want. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. I felt, I think everybody, you'll hear this in discernment stories or you hear this when people talk about their spouse, like that sense of peace, like that's really, really hard to capture in words, but it's just like, yeah, I think that's going to be the right call. Sure. I have to pack up all my stuff. Sure. My dad has to figure out a way to move everything out of my apartment in a tiny U-Haul trailer. Yeah, definitely. Like people might make comments like, oh, I couldn't stick it in the big city. But like, I think, I think it's right for me to go back and invest in these places that once invested in me, a high school that I went to, a parish that I've loved my whole life. Um, so I was, 21 when I graduated college and left, uh, 22 when I came back to Lake Charles, uh, my friends threw me a 20, uh, a 23 birthday party, 20 turning 23 birthday party, welcome home kind of thing. And, and I have no intention of leaving. <laughs> and there you go. So did yeah. you take both jobs? Were you a teacher and I did. youth minister? Yeah. You so my, wow. I did. So for five years, I hoofed it between the two of them. Um, that's a lot, Katie. Those it was, I was a workaholic. Very... We can talk about yeah. that. Oh yeah. I was, <laughs> I had, I had very little invested. social life and was, um, driving myself into the ground. And then I met my husband, uh, who pointed out to me that like balance is important. Um, and so through, you know, various things that have happened in life and decisions that were made, I'm now no longer in any of those jobs and just as busy as before, but doing fruitful work as well, still in this home. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So Five years you did the two jobs. When did Tommy come in the picture, your husband? May of 2014. Um, he moved to Lake Charles in the summer of 2015. So we dated long distance a year before we made the somebody's got to move if this is going to be real. Um, engaged October of 2015, married in June of 2016. We taught at that high school together for two years. Um, and then now he's at the charter school and I work for Ave. And so, okay, your book though. You have multiple yeah. books. Oh yeah, there's... <laughs> That's right. Now but I'm you're... messing up the timeline. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. No, no, no. You're good. It's just in case, in case the one person who's <laughs> listening that doesn't know your timeline. I just want to make sure they yeah. have their whiteboard and they're like, you know, yeah, we can putting post-it. Yeah, exactly. Just for that guy. It's just yeah. for that guy. That's all I'm doing. So what year was your first book, Katie? Um, it came out in... Room 24, right? Is that the first? Yeah, it came out in January of 2016. Okay. Yeah, we were engaged. Okay, um, okay. It, it was okay. acquired. So it happened. Yeah, yeah. So there was, I, I started teaching in the summer, like the school year of 2012, 2013. I started writing the book in December of 2014. Um, it got acquired then. I mean, and books take a year and a half. So I wrote it. It got acquired. I wrote it from January to May, turned it in. It went through all the edits and the processing and it came out. Um, in January of 2016. And then my second book came out in, uh, when was that? February of 2018. Okay. Um, and then the Lent and the Advent books have come out, su- you know, subsequently. So 2019, and we've got one coming 2020. And the next book, if, if my timeline, if I turn it in on time, will be 2021. Um, so I'm a little behind. I like to release a book every other year or when there's a kid. Uh, so I'm a little behind on this one. Claire won't get a book right when she's born, but uh, I'm, I'm going to give myself some slack because of COVID. <laughs> I think that's totally fair. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so when you, when the book happened, take mm-hmm. me back to the book. Yeah. Not, not really like settle on the whole concept, but when, when did that stirring happen within mm-hmm. you that you needed to write a book because God was asking you to. When, yeah. it's a great when question. did that happen? You know, because I know that that's not something you just wake up and you're like, oh, I've got nothing to do today. Let's write a book. Yeah. So there's, I think there's a, a, a window into, so Room 24, um, which was the first, the first book. Yeah. Room you got 24. it. Yes. Good job. It, yeah. I had to make sure it's on the back of the show. I just, I haven't read them in a very long time. Um, <laughs> I wrote them and my mom likes them. I know that. That counts. That uh, counts. I did notice yesterday was at her house and I was like, where are my, like, I was looking at books at her house. like, where are my books? She's like, oh, I lent them to people. It's like, you have to keep your daughter's books on the Come shelf. On, like, that's like a mandatory mom thing. Yeah, um, it's like a turkey handprint mom. Yeah, I, need like, to, I need to give her some. Yeah, this, this, this cannot be taken down. <laughs> the same. Um, so I, in the classroom, I taught freshmen. Freshmen are 
lovingly dumb. I say that in the sense of they, like, they walk into a theology classroom. Up to that point, they've only ever had religion class. And there's a difference between the study of God and just like, Jesus loves you. Here's the Ten Commandments. And I had a degree from a university that's very rigorous in their theology department. So in that classroom, I started to notice that sense of wonder and awe in teenagers is actually really hysterical. And they say the dumbest things. <laughs> so I started just writing stuff down that kids would say in like interactions that we had back and forth. Um, I'm a big journaler and I, I like to digitally journal. So I just had a word doc on my computer where I would like write things down and just started to kind of like write some little reflections underneath it. I would share the quotes on Facebook, occasionally on Twitter. Um, and I would hashtag them, hashtag room 24 quotes. And it just kind of became this thing. Like people started following them. And I mean, this was 2014. Were you a so like speaker? A, Were you already yeah, I was traveling and speaking some. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was okay. a little bit of the side hustle. I, you know, probably like two things a month, um, locally or, you know, on a plane. Um, but there was a, in the Stupid summer, bill. nothing that big. I, I, not. My first, my first Stupid bill was the summer of 2014. So yeah, like okay, I was, so it's, it's close. Yeah. Okay. Um, all kind of like right around the same time. Room 24 did not get me to Steubenville by any means. <laughs> like that was, they were kind of, <laughs> there was teacher Katie and there was speaker Katie. And okay. then, you know, the two met and people knew about that, but the quotes was very much like a local people in Lake Charles just loved guessing which kid maybe said it in the classroom. Cause I never That's identified funny. children. I was like student A, student B. Um, so uh, uh, somebody in the summer of, I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened, but in the summer of 2014, I was contacted by Ave, Ave Maria Press, and they asked me if I would be willing to write a blurb for the back of a book. Um, you know, and that's like, you want to read this thing ahead of time and give us a quote? And I said, sure. You know, the person that wrote the book's friend of mine, this probably is a good book, read it, sent the blurb in. The editor um, contacted me back and was like, hey, this was a great blurb. And she just kind of put in the bottom of the email, if you ever have a book idea, let me know. And Catholic publishing is this weird little internal world, kind of like Catholic speaking, where it takes an in to really, to, to be able to kind of rise rise to the ranks. That's a weird way of putting it, um, but it's an industry in some sense. And so I I had that email sitting in my inbox. You know, you can star something in Gmail and just like never- Yeah, it. <laughs> flag I had it. it just, I had it starred and it just like sat in the bottom of my inbox the rest of the summer and randomly in September, it was kind of, a, I woke up one morning, I was like, I'm going to email Eileen back. Like, I'm going to email her back and tell her I do have an idea. And it's, it started, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, as a coffee table book idea. Like, I'm going to compile these silly quotes of teenagers. We're going to put like a little cartoon graphic with them. And it'll be fun. And it'll be funny. And teachers will like be able to laugh with each other. And it's going to have this very niche market. So I, I sent her, I have this idea. I'd like to talk to you about it. That was that was the plan. Like I'm gonna call her and tell her I want to do a comic book. Yeah, um, but that makes sense though, Katie. Yeah. I, I validate that. That that would not have been a terrible idea. Yeah, like, I, I, I still I kind of think the vision. <laughs> I yeah. see that's right. It might one yeah. day still. I happen. still have all the quotes. The graphic novel. <laughs> um, so she called me. I was sitting on the back porch at my house, and we didn't talk about the book at all. We talked about long distance relationships because she and her husband had been long distance for years, and like it was this immediate friendship. And this immediate, we can talk and we like each other. And there's like this really cool exchange of ideas. And I think that that's really important, especially in writing. You have to trust your editor and they have to know your heart. Um, and so from there, we just kind of started developing in a book acquisition. You have to do the intro. You have to do the, the annotated table of contents. You have to have like a perspective of like, here's the direction that I want it to take. And here's the people that we can market it to because a book has to sell because it takes money to publish. I mean, there's all this, this, this internal world that I didn't even know about. Um, it's a long at, questionnaire, a big question. It is. Oh yeah. And like, there's this whole idea behind, especially in, in the Catholic world, like a book has to be worth reading. Like it's, it's absolutely worth writing. You can get a lot out of it, but like who on the other end is going to pull it off a shelf and say, well, I want to read a book about a, a second year teacher who screwed up a lot of things with 14 year olds. Like that has to have an audience. Has um, to be worth reading. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. so we, it, we went to acquisitions in December and then the rest is kind of history. Once you're, once you're in, you're in, um, if the book sells, they like it and they want to, you know, they want another one from you. And, and then it becomes kind of a game as an author of, okay, what do I actually want to write that is worth reading on the other end? So like the book I'm writing right now that I'm, it's, I've been grappling with a lot. It's about Mary. It's about a relationship with Mary for a young person. Um, 
And I'm kind of at this stuck point where it's like, okay, but do teens need to hear about that? <laughs> like, do teens care about having a relationship with Mary? And so that's where, you know, like you start to internally battle that idea of, is this worth reading? Because um, I'm enjoying writing it, but I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to put it out there if no young person would ever pick it up. Um, so are you exclusively, do you think of yourself as a teen author? Like, is that kind of your niche? As a Catholic teen author, I feel I don't like know. I, I hope, acting. It's like, are you yeah, just? The, I the, hope the I'm best not. Friend? I think I think I ha- with my experience from the classroom and with speaking, um, I feel, and I'm not trying to be arrogant when I say this, but I feel like I'm able to talk to young people in a relatable enough way to where I could then write to them. Um, I hope that's not the only kind of book I ever write. <laughs> Uh, by any means, <laughs> let me put right. that out. Well, they're going to get older. That's smart. You're investing in your in yeah. your reader, Katie. One yeah. day they will turn That's around true. and you'll be, you know, it's like us with nine hundred two and and we're like, hey, yeah, Perry. That's very true. That's very <laughs> true. So I hope not, but I think I think there isn't a book for Mary for teens. Um, there's a oh, lot of books yeah. about Mary. A lot of them are written to moms. Um, yeah, and that makes yeah. sense because like Mary yeah. moms, but like. <laughs> What about the 15, 16 year old kid who's really struggling to understand why they want to stay Catholic? How can Mary be an influence in their life? Like, how can Mary be a model of holiness for them? We always talk about the saints, and that's great. I am very pro saint, but I'm also very pro mother of God. <laughs> like, I think she's right? the first one we should know about. So that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I love that. Or the teens that don't have moms, or the teens yeah. who don't have very good moms. Good relationships. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's really beautiful. So, okay. I remember at one point you did say something online and this will be to wrap up where we're at together, which I hate, but I'm going to have to go get some Louisiana food. (laughs) Come on down. It's only a couple hours. (laughs) Um, Cases aren't spiking. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We're all in a safe space. But when you did decide to go full time with mm-hmm. your speaking and you left teaching, you're not teaching, you're not a youth minister. Mm-hmm. Those are not the places you've already shared that you are at this point in your life. Um, and so this is pre COVID and we're pretending COVID just doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't That's exist. why I love zoom. It doesn't normal, exist. It's normal world. Yeah. Normal world. We don't have masks on. It's fine. Um, what had a quiet down in your life, Katie, mm. for you to hear God that that is, that was the next move. What had it quiet down? Um, I think it was two things. It was one, I had to silence the voices of fear that you can't do this um, in my mind, because I think that that's, I mean, I think everybody, but especially women, we deal with that a lot of, well, nobody, like, sure, I'll tell everybody I'm going full-time speaking and then nobody's ever going to hire me again. Or yeah, I want to be a writer, but then nobody's ever going to want to read anything else I've ever written again. I had to silence those voices and be like, that's never been true before. So why would it be true now? Um, So we left the classroom, whole other story, whole other podcast. We were kind of at this crossroads point where my husband had a job uh, teaching at a charter school and I had a job offer there as well to teach history, which is my minor. And I love history. I love teaching history. I think it's probably even more important now than ever before to have good history teachers in high schools and colleges. Um, and so it very much was a, an option on the table. And there were two things that that job would have brought, uh, security, uh, health insurance, uh, you know, <laughs> stability in a schedule. Yeah. Um, but there were also a few things that it, it would take away, which was this freedom and this ability to, to really hone this skill that I knew I had, that I could grow and expand if I really invested time and energy and put a footprint in the church in a way that I thought that, you know, I, I was uniquely called to do. Um, we were sitting in a Best Buy parking lot in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Uh, we were at an event for a parish that from Nashville, they always come down to Bay St. Louis. I was hosting the event for the week, doing all the speaking stuff. And Tommy came with me and he had to go into the Best Buy parking lot to buy a charger for his laptop because he left it at home. And I was like, it's cheaper to spend 50 bucks on a charger than drive five hours home. So he was inside the Best Buy looking for this pin charger for his Chromebook. Um, and I'm sitting in the parking lot and my good friend, Roy Pettifee, out of nowhere, texted me. He's a good interview you should bring him on. Um, and he said, I don't know where you are because he knew I was discerning it. And he knew I was thinking about taking this leap and turning down the for sure thing job. And, and he said, just don't pay attention to what you're scared of, but pay attention to what you're excited about. And it was such a great, like he's a counselor. So he knew exactly what to say. And it was like, if you make this to-do list, one is going to be longer than the other. If the fears list is longer than the excitement list, okay, you need to pay attention to that. But if you're really, really excited about some things that you're just not paying attention to because you're so consumed with the practical fears, 
Like, am I going to be able to pay the bills or is anybody going to hire me or, or what if something goes wrong? And then, you know, like the tragedy of some sort, um, you, you have to be quiet long enough to pay attention to the excitements. And so that's what I had to quiet down the fears. The other was, um, that have you ever read the war of art by Stephen Pressfield? No, I haven't even heard it's, of it. It's the book that I, I always tell people, especially people who want to write a book for the first time, but really any creative endeavor, he talks about this voice of resistance that we often feel, which is the, okay, I'm, I'm not scared anymore. I want to do it. And then we start jumping in and we start doing it. We start creating, we start traveling more and, and doing those things that we feel called to do. And then at the first sign of like, this might be hard or this could be challenging or like the first little bit of criticism, like the first two-star review or the first person who says, oh, your book was not funny and I didn't like it we clamp up and we're like, oh, well, I'm useless and I'm worthless. And so we allow that voice of resistance and whether we got it from external or internal to, to really to freeze us in what we're doing. Um, and I really had to shut that down. I, you know, I'm the queen of the block on Twitter. Like if, if you're going to be mean and if you're not going to dialogue, I'm just not going to, like, it's my party, it's my page. I'm going to hang out with the people that I want to. And, I, and maybe that makes me insular. Maybe that creates a cul-de-sac, but it also creates a safe place to where you don't then hit up against resistance when you're trying to create good things for other people. So I really had to quiet those voices of resistance, both internally and externally. And I think it's going okay. I, th- I think my family, <laughs> we're not starving. Um, I think you're I've doing had plenty well. of work. <laughs> so I got to go to the Vatican and um, hey, that weird that dream of working for the USCCB, which is some strange pipe theology dream. I'm on a ad hoc lay committee now. So like, you know, the Incredible. Lord always ends up providing in ways bigger than you could have ever imagined, while also letting you be home at the same time. And that, I think, is the perfect way (laughs) to end because that is exactly so beautiful and such a great, especially such a great insight for where everyone is today, Mm -hmm. which is you're already home, so (laughs) might as well do what's so beautiful about that and where and how incredible you can flourish just from being home. Don't listen to the lies that you have to go elsewhere to Mm -hmm. do great works. And I think that is your amazing story, Katie, and what you bring to our little Catholic table (laughs) that's out there. I I have had so much fun and I can't wait to get back to Louisiana so you and I can eat. Yes, come on. I don't care what it is. And I would love for you to come back if you ever, if if that presents itself, I'd love to go deeper sometimes. For sure, for sure. You are lovely. Everyone pray for Katie as she does all the things like make a person. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) I think it might be... Yeah, it might be even harder than writing a book. But Katie, where can people, you know, the two people that don't know, uh, <laughs> where can they find you out on the internet before you block them? Where could they go? Yes. <laughs> you mean. The pre-blocking, yeah. Um, so it's just at Katie Prejean on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, I have a website, katieprejean.com. And then a lot of the work that I'm doing right now with my podcast and my writing is with Ave Maria Press for this little program called Ave Explores. So they can find all that. Perfect. All right, Miss Katie, you take care. Have a great day making your house more beautiful, which I don't know how, because that's what, and baking. You probably, you probably made 17 loaves of bread while, yep. whilst, while we were doing this. There's yes, nothing, while we were doing I promise. This. There's nothing rising in the kitchen. I didn't get started yet. <laughs> I love it. All right, friend. Thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you next time. Bye, Katie. Bye. I just got a text message. My husband is locked outside. So I've got to go lock him in. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Okay. I don't know how that happened. I, they, I don't know why they did that, but I will see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>